Listeners, we wanted to apologize for the sound quality of this episode. We experienced many technical difficulties with recording. We've done our best to clean up the audio, but it's still quite the thing. So bear with us. We promise it will get better. We decided to go ahead and post this episode because it is still about one of our absolute favorite musicals with some amazing people that we did want to talk about. Welcome listeners to another episode of Real Education Musicals. I am your host, Indy, joined, as always, by my intrepid explorers into the musical arts. That would be, of course, Mike and Vinny. And tonight, we are going to be talking about... The King and I. The King and I. <laughs> a classic. A classic, like a big, old school, you know, studio musical, like one of the ones that you hold up and like, this is, this is what would be on TV on Saturday afternoons when I was a child. Like, musicals, not three people all the time. Yeah, there's usually a musical on every Saturday about three people. And that's where I watch most of the time. So, who hasn't seen The King and I? I haven't. I haven't seen this version. I've, I've, I've seen I've seen it on stage. I've never seen okay, the so film version. You've seen yeah, you've seen stage production. I'm. It's one of those where I like. I feel like I'm sure that I've seen it uh, on stage, but like my parents. So when I was when I was younger, we lived in Fort Worth, and they have a place there called Casamignana. That's like a. Uh, it was like it was really cool, it was like a theater in the round kind of setup. So like stages in the middle, and then there's seats all around it, which I'm. Illustrated with my hands, which is really great for an audio medium. But there's seats all around the, the center portion, and uh, we went to go see tons of plays there. Um, so I've seen, like, I mean, pretty much every Rogers and Hammerstein uh, play. So I would assume I've probably seen this one too at some point. I just don't have, like, any real memories of it because I was like, you know, they started taking this when we were like five or six. That's super cool. Yeah, so it was now fucking I'm, awesome. But I'm like, trying to figure out how you would stage K and I in the round. I have to admit. That's, yeah, that's a bold choice. That's a very bold choice. There's some cool, like, we would, I know, I remember, the only ones I really distinctly remember were, like, Brigadoon and uh, Oklahoma seeing there, but I know we saw, like, tons of others. Again, I'm sure I've seen it. But neither one of you have seen Yule Brenner in his most iconic role. I have not. I haven't. This is going to be a revelation for y'all. He's like originated the role, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. I thought this was like kind of like his thing. On Broadway. Yeah. Yeah. um, There's interesting stuff that we will go into about Mr. Brenner. That man was a legitimate badass. Like a legitimate. I was reading stuff. I'm like, oh my god. (laughs) Um. So we'll get into that after. So what are your sort of expectations, or what do you know about this? Um, like I said, I know, obviously, Bill Brenner, like, and some lady, uh, <laughs> I couldn't even tell you who else is in it. I'm sure it's, like, some iconic person, too, but, uh, yeah, pretty much. Uh, but I actively, like, avoided reading anything about it, because I was like, I want to I be as blind as possible. Um, I know it's Bill Brenner playing the King of Siam. Mm-hmm. Um, I do remember that they remade Based, the source material that it's based on, they made a movie out of in the 90s with like Shouting and Fat and like Jodie Foster, I think. Yep. Yeah, I was like, I know it's somebody yeah. weird, Jodie Foster. That, yep. Yeah. And Andy King? Yeah, yeah. That's not a yeah, musical. I think of the name. Uh, <laughs> oh, I watched it, of course I did. Right. Uh, so I, like, most of my, actually, probably most of my impressions of what the, the story's about come from like trailers of that. <laughs> not even the movie I've never even seen that movie I'm just like okay so it's like this white lady that goes in and like has something to do with the king and I'm guessing they fall in love I know there's like a song in it uh, you're right there is a song in it obviously <laughs> only, only no 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 it's one of those that like you know without having seen the musical um 
getting to know you? That's the one. I was, so, I, I was like, I'm not going to tell you. I was trying to remember. The only thing I could think of was like, I, uh, I could have danced on that. I was like, that's my fair lady. That's not even. <laughs> it, they are. No, wait. My fair lady is harder and low. My bad. I was about like, oh, it's all like red and hammerstein. <laughs> nope, my fair lady. It's still similar-ish. Oh, like. yeah. <laughs> um, we're going to talk about Rogers and Hammerstein as well. Yes. Vinny, what are your... I mean, I don't have much to add beyond what he said. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I've seen it. It's been a long time. Uh, all I know about the version we're about to watch is that it was much earlier than I originally thought. It was like 56. Mm-hmm. And then Neil Brunner and Deborah occurred. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know who... Of course. I know the people. And I know that it's... Yeah, I know. AKA some lady. Right. <laughs> you know, that, that one. Make the connection later after we watched it. Um, yeah, I mean, I know very little about the, the film version. Um, that fragments of you know, the version I saw when I was younger. So. Um, in terms of classic Rodgers and Hammerstein, this is one of my favorites and one of my actual favorite of this sort of period of big movie musical making because it is lavish as fuck. Like, <laughs> first series is gorgeous. So I am super excited to have you guys watch it. I've been looking forward to this all day. Yeah. So, all right, let's get to it. Yeah, yeah. I do not remember anything, except that you are my servant. No, Your Majesty, that is not true. I am most certainly not your servant. Your Majesty, I beg of you, don't take revenge on this girl. This girl hurt your vanity, that is all. She didn't hurt your heart. You have no heart. (laughs) All right, King and I. Yeah, King and I. Well, it was good. Um, it was a, like it's kind of cool because it was like what I was expecting, but also not what I was expecting. <laughs> okay. Um, I mentioned early on while we were watching it that like when he first brings in the kids, it reminded me so much of Sound of Music. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so that's the, kind of the lens that I viewed the rest of the movie through. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, this feels so familiar, but also like more folk like that because you don't really learn anything about any of the children except like the prince mm-hmm. uh so obviously that's like the big difference but like also it's still like this woman coming in and she has to like soften them in, like but she doesn't ever really soften him that much but she kind of does like it's really weird because like he never really changes <laughs> mm-hmm. it's an interesting dynamic between the two of them but like i i guess the only thing that really changes is that they like both kind of realized that neither was going to change. And so they, well, they kind of like butt up against each other and then finally have like this respect for the other one that like yeah. they are the way they are. It's sort of, it's both a healthy relationship and a not healthy relationship. Right, oh absolutely. Because the reason why they love the other person is because of who that person is. And they've never met anybody who challenges them like mm-hmm. that. And because that person is that person, this is never going to work. Right. <laughs> this is really not going to go anywhere. And I really love it the end when she says, um, we can't hurt each other anymore. Like, that's a really yeah. good way of like, yeah, like, really, what was going to happen here? Um, so, yeah. I mean, the best line of the movie for me, though, is when he's like, this proclamation about not bowing is because of you. And she's like, I hope so. Right? Like, <laughs> like that kind of just sums up their entire relationship perfectly. Well, and it, it also, um, he's the central crux of the, whole, of the whole story. Because here's a man who desperately wants to modernize. And but he's so stuck 
because of who he is, he can never modernize. Right. Like, it is going to be a fundamental, like, just conflict. And how do, how do you resolve that when you want something and yet you recognize that the only way it's going to happen is without you there? Right. <laughs> that's, that's sort of amazing. Like, he, in the context of the show, he becomes an amazing king because he reached for something that he was never going to be able to hold on to. And he said, I can't do this. I actually kind of hate it, but it's what is necessary. And so I'm going to have you bring up my son the way that this is like to do these things and watch him go where I cannot. Right. What about you, Vinny? Yeah, I mean, I don't have a whole lot to add at the moment. I mean, I think uh, y'all kind of cover everything I was thinking. I love how Bill Brenner does so much with so little in a way. Like, you kind of just get the sense of his character. Like before he really, before he even talks, like yeah, he just hands like, on hips. Yeah, you first see him, at, you know, in, in, as, as this powerful force to be reckoned with more than anything, and then it just continues to, you know, solidify that that impression with every you know every scene that he's in. Uh, well, and I mean, his physicality could become cartoonish. It seems cartoonish at first, but then I mean, he won the best Oscar, the best uh, actor Oscar. Which was pretty typical at the time for oh you did a musical here's here's an award for that <laughs> but um, but also his yeah his performance is so nuanced that after a while you start to see that the postures are just that yeah, absolutely and we kind of joked at first I mean, like you know the whole first half hour you see him it's just and he's in one of like three poses it's either yeah. like hands yeah. on hips arms crossed or arms behind his back and yeah. that's like. The only three ways that you see him, if he's standing up, otherwise he's like lounging on the ground. But uh, but that's not till later. Like I honestly think that they deliberately worked. That's through. a good point because you yeah. don't see him until he brings her in in uh-huh. the one scene that he's lounging. And even then, it's like calculated. I mean, he's yeah. down to, to get her to to introduce a topic that he can yell her for. Why are you? Why is your head above mine? Yeah. Ah, it's good stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, other thoughts? I mean, I have so much trivia here. But, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, one of the goals, since we were already at the point of talking about uh, her, him yelling at her for her head being higher, um, one of my favorite things about that is that Yul Brenner is not a big man. <laughs> right? Like, he's, I, I looked it up while we were watching the movie, he's 5'8", like, not a big dude. In fact, like one of my favorite things about uh, Magnificent Seven is the feud that he had with uh, Steve McQueen, and he would uh, Brenner would um, basically on his marks he would pound mount up dirt so that he would appear taller than Steve McQueen. <laughs> and right before they called action, McQueen would just kicked the dirt out. <laughs> and it caused this whole feud. And that's like all I could think of while we're sitting there watching him going like, your head can't be higher than mine. Your head can't be higher than mine. And so I'm like, oh, this is really funny because it's exactly like their feud of like, yeah, Joe Brenner has to be the bigger person. But of course he's just... He's this little goblin man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, you say goblin man, and all I'm thinking is like, he's walking sex. Yeah. Like, I was so distract, constantly distracted. He's in amazing shape. Yeah. Like, sort of okay. not expecting him to open his shirt and have he's <laughs> like, like 18 abs and 43 muscles. YouTube's reaction when he opened his jacket for the first time and he was bare chest was just like, what the shit? <laughs> um, as it turns out, because this was filmed the same year, and I mentioned this, this was filmed the same year as The Ten Commandments. And Apparently, Yul Brynner was so intimidated is not the right word because that implies that we could ever be intimidated. I think we could. We know Yul Brynner was never that guy. <laughs> um, but he was. He was like, "Oh, Charlton Heston. I'm going to be in a movie with Charlton Heston, and it's going to be bare chest. I am not going to let Charlton Heston show me up. If he work out, and he did it for the Ten Commandments, but we benefit over here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because yeah. Dang you, like, and I mean, his chest is amazing, but I kept just staring at his calves. Like, they're ripped. They're like 15 muscles. 
I'm like, it was like solid. I'm like, I didn't even know there were that many muscles in your calf. Like, and it shit. helps the way that like his his like the pants, whatever pants. you call them, pants, skirt type the thing, blanket. The way that the way that they're shaped because they basically cut like perfectly at the knee. Oh yeah. And so it just like you just like get this cut off and then like this just massive just muscle hanging down from dra- it, draping <laughs> lovingly around that calf muscle. Like, did you notice? Like, yes. I did. Um, and th- so, uh, listeners, we were all caught off guard by the plaid. Um, yeah. Because um, it's one of those things that I need to look it up further. I, say, I don't have much to add. I don't know the history or the Right? Like, I, I, maybe somebody listening knows and you can share with us. Because we were watching Samurai so like A lot of it is, uh, like, solid silk colors or, like, solid with, like, the embroidered type stuff, like, a lot of his, his stuff. And then all of a sudden it's, like, Here's someone in a plaid skirt, and you're like, "Where did that come from?" <laughs> yeah, like more than once, but they're all and they're all very striking and, and different. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's it's like the skirts are often plaid, or there's their shoulders no, like, like sad. plaid. So sad. Apparently, like I feel like because the costume was Eileen Sharap, she was legit. Um, so, like, I don't feel like this was Hollywood going, "Oh, you know what's attractive? Plaid. We'll just put plaid on Asian people. It'll be lovely." Right. Um, and we were watching uh, Sanjuro, Sanjuro and like Sanjuro. One, one of the Kurosawa and you know there's a Japanese person in a plaid kimono it's like uh, apparently plaid was Asian and it's so funny so I want to do some research into it to find out like what is the deal there but none of us think of plaid as an as Asian, being a, yeah as being an eastern yeah. cultural thing like plaid I'm sorry, where's the Scotsman? Yeah. Which, funnily <laughs> enough, the captain at the beginning was Scottish. Right. Rowing <laughs> around his knees at you. <laughs> Very strange. Um, so, okay. Yul uh, Brenner, I want to share some of these amazing things that I found out about him. Uh, first off, Yul Brenner was a man who would lie about his origins because he liked to tease people he considered gullible. That sounds right. Like, so people did, until he died, and his son wrote a biography of him, there was, nobody was, like, for certain where he he came from, what that accent was. He would just lie. He's like, oh, no, I'm, I'm Russian. No, actually, I'm I'm Thai. No, I might be. I I'm might ethnically be, ambiguous. I, mean, I, don't, I don't believe anything. Yeah, like, anything that man would say with that stare and that voice, you'd be like, Whatever you okay. Yes, sir. Um, okay, so this is awesome. Uh, he was playing guitar in the nightclubs of Paris with Russian gypsies, where he met luminaries such as Jean Cocteau and became an apprentice at the Theatre de Maturin, and he worked as a trapeze artist with the Cirque de Verre. And all that jazz. What? It's amazing. Right? And that was just him as a young man. And then he came to America where he became, he was a TV director. And he actually, that was one of his first jobs. He was actually teaching other people. It was such a new medium. He was teaching other people how to be a director when his Broadway career happened. And he joked that uh, his acting career was his side profession. He really was a director. And the director of King and I, there were arguments about how things <laughs> should happen. Um, so Mary Martin, who of course is famous for Peter Pan, recommended him for the role. So that's how he got it, although, of course, as I mentioned to you, uh, Rogers and Hammerstein originally wrote the role with Rex Harrison in mind, and you can totally see that, like, hi, I'm the king, I don't sing. Yeah, right. I'm, I'm going to star in a Broadway show, but I'm not going to sing. I do a few sort of talking, almost type yeah. singing type uh-huh. things. Almost. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, the first, he directed a children's puppet show called Life with Snarky Parker. Um, he was. Yeah, right. This one, this one was the one where I read it and I'm like, this guy was a legitimate badass. In his youth, Yul Brynner was Jean Cocteau's opium smuggler. <laughs> I mean, honestly, you could tell me anything. Like <laughs> right? we just talked about, you could tell me anything <laughs> about Yul Brynner and I'd yeah. just be like, yeah, that sounds like a thing he did. And he. <laughs> Always prepared breakfast while wearing a silk kimono. Jazz hands. Don't we all? I mean, I mean, right? I aspire to, anyways. I hope he kept those costumes. I know. 
And he fucking right. wore those all the time. I would pick one of everything you wore. Yeah, I'll, I'll have I'll have one of that. Yeah. I'll have three of those. Yeah. That just looks amazing. Yeah, um, they just look so comfortable. Like, oh. I just that's and what I would colors. wear all the time. Yeah, the colors. The sets. There were forty different sets. They spent like seventy-five, no, seven hundred fifty thousand dollars on sets. I mean, in the 1950s. Show. In 1950s, yeah. Yeah, like, what the hell? But you're just like, I love what y'all are doing right here, but if we could just pause, and if you could pan around the room, right, I'm right. really fascinated <laughs> by everything around you. Also, could we get a close-up on the clothes? Yeah! I know, there's so much going on that it's like, it almost, it almost becomes a little distracting because you're trying to see everybody. Like, there's one guy uh, at, the, at the banquet. There's like, just this, uh, I think he's supposed to be Indian, and he has this huge hat and like this, <laughs> just like garish sort of costume. And I'm like, can we just like zoom in on him? I want to see like what his costume. Well, is. And also, what's his story? Yeah, <laughs> not exactly. even a part of it just in the background. What, like, what, what, how this guy interfered with what he's doing? Because I mean, somebody made the choice to put him in that. Right, right. Like, and Irene Sharaf made that choice <laughs> and went yes. Like that, I'm always fascinated when you see a choice so bold. You're like, really? You looked at that and said yes, and I'm really wondering why. Right. Um, so Irene Giraffe, uh she was amazing. She costumed both stage and movies. So she actually costumed the King and I for stage, and then did the movie. And she did the same thing with um, West Side Story. She also did the costumes for both. Right? She, amazing costumes. Um, Elizabeth Taylor, that's the only costume that she would use. So really? she did Meet Me in St. Louis, An American in Paris, King and I, West Side Story. Like, And when, you, when I tell you that, you're like, all those costumes are amazing. Yeah. But, I could totally see it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> wow. Well, she likes dressing Rita Moreno. Right? Because <laughs> Rita Moreno, oh, by the way, Rita Moreno's in this, and, and Mike didn't know that, and he sees it in the credit, and he's like, what? Yeah, yeah, because you get the first title card that is uh, Yul Brenner and some lady, and then <laughs> Deborah Kerr. <laughs> of a fair to remember. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. You, And you, from you, here to eternity. Yeah. Uh, so you get the two of them, and then the next one, it's... And a slightly smaller font than, than those two names were in is Rita Moreno and then a whole bunch of small names under it. And so it was just like, holy shit, Rita Moreno's in this? Like, I had no idea. Um, this is, we figured out, like, five years before West Side Story, which is, of course, like, the role that, like, everybody knows It's so Rita interesting because she looks like 17 in this. She's like 25. And Which is in, crazy because she looks so young. Yeah. And then in West Side Story, she looks like legitimately like thirty, right. like an older woman, <laughs> and you're just like, I what? Yeah, like that's amazing. Um, she did her own singing for this. Okay, unlike Deborah Kerr, who was voiced by the famous Marnie Nixon, who also voiced Maria in West Side Story, which was Natalie Wood. Do you know what I found out though? I I can't wrap my head around this. Because Marnie Nixon's voice was such a young woman's voice, because it was such a, an ingenue voice, they put a filter on her mic to make her sound more mature. Why not just hire a different singer? Right. It's like, it's like they were just so like, oh, Marnie, you're our girl. It doesn't matter that the voice isn't right. Sing it for it. Like, what? Make it work. But, like, she apparently would rehearse with Deborah Kerr. Like going through the staging with her and watching the way Deborah would sing it, so that she would sing it with the same rhythms, so that it would make it easier for Deborah Kerr to lip sync. Like I'm just like that's going way above and beyond for me. Yeah, it's like a lot of extra work. Like I mean, in Bollywood, you just sing along. It's not that hard. Just <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I'm sorry. I love you, Deborah Kerr. I think you're beautiful and amazing, and I love your performance in this movie, but nobody believes that's your voice. <laughs> Did you? I mean, honestly, no. I mean, you, you had told me prior to you, but no. I mean, it's obvious. Uh, oh, we never gave a plot. So uh, Anna's a widow with her young son who appears at the beginning and at the end like a book. <laughs> yeah, he's like, he's around. He disappears for a solid <laughs> two hours. Like, seriously, you're almost like, 
Ah, is it almost over? We'll know when the sun comes out. There he is. Must be almost over. Yeah, I honestly almost forgot there was a child until uh, Wendy said, like, you notice the kid hasn't been around. And then the kid shows back up. And I was like, oh, shit, there was a whole kid. <laughs> <laughs> so Anna, Anna's husband has died, and she's looking. she has taken a contract with the King of Siam to come be the tutor to the royal, uh, to the royal household of children. And he has made her a promise, and honest to God, this is the central conflict, <laughs> uh, the stated central conflict. He has promised her that there will be a house of her own that she will have to raise her son in, and when she arrives, he's like, nope, you're going to stay in the palace. She's like, you promise? He's like, I don't remember the promise. And then he manipulates her with, did you notice how cute my children are? Yeah, you know, there's a whole one, procession of are. these, like, here's one adorable child, here's two adorable children, here's another adorable child, <laughs> oh, here's two twins. Uh, and then here's another, and another, and it ends with the youngest one who is like bound the wrong way or something. I oh, it's remember. like they forgot she comes scurrying in between That's his what legs, it is. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Bow's just like, oh crap, I missed it, and bows, and, and he's like, And then he Here. like scoops her up, and like, and it's like the most adorable shit in the world, and you're just like, this is, this is not even fair. Right? <laughs> um, yeah, how could you, how could you be human and say no to that? Right. Yeah. So he constantly manipulates her with just, did you notice my adorable children? Yeah. Um, and so she's there. He's not giving her the house. There's a lot of fighting between the two of them. Then he gets, he hears that the British government might be believing that he is not a good king. So they throw a great big ball for the ambassador so that the ambassador can meet him and carry good word about him. This is a central turning point in the relationship because the two of them recognize their true action to each other and in the meantime Tup Tim is a slave who was given him his love with somebody else. He doesn't even care about it. She runs off with her lover and he gets mad and when Anna is like, what are you going to do? I'm going to punish her. I'm going to beat her. You can't beat her. That's a terrible thing. And you cannot resolve the conflict between the person who wants to be and the person who is and literally dies of a broken heart. Spoilers. <laughs> and it's also just like, she's not even like, I'm not going to, he's like, you give me orders or what, I can't believe you're giving me orders. And she's like, he's like, you're going to run away crying. She's like, I'm not going to run away. I'm going to fucking watch you do this. Like, yeah. I'm going to yeah. be here and be your literal conscience watching you beat this girl. Like, it's, it's, a, it's such a great scene. Right? Like, that's the, re-watching it. It's been, cause it's probably been like seven years since I've rewatched it. Yeah. <laughs> like. There is so much going on that I took for granted because it's really good writing. Right. Like, and I mean, I also feel that way. Like, a lot of my classic favorites, part of why I love them is the writing is just so solid. Like, there's there's a reason why they stuck around. And don't get me wrong, I love High School Musical. I love <laughs> Joseph is the Amazing Technical Dream Tour. I love me some just good old fashioned musical fun. But some of these classic musicals, like, they delivered the goods dramatically. Right, right. Yeah, there's much deeper stories to tell. High school musicals, yeah, like, I mean, it's fun. It's a really different, <laughs> different form of enjoyment. <laughs> but that's what people think when they think musical. Yeah. They, the, I mean, they're not wrong, and that's not a, it's not a disparagement, but look at, look at what this story did. It, it took this man, like, the whole musical procession of his children, which it can seem just like, why are we doing this for five minutes? I know, it's such a long time spent on, like, there's so much of the of, uh, runtime spent on, like, this procession of children, and it could, like, in less capable, in, like, a less capable um, filmmaker's hands, or uh, more poorly written, or whatever, it could just seem like, we get this over with, but like every time you're like, what kid's gonna come next? Like, <laughs> you're like you're so engaged with it. Well, I mean, yeah, Joe Ritter just you know chewing the scenery, like just, you know. He's, oh, he's, he's so great right the whole time. I mean, like we like we talked about, you can see how clearly you know, the character loves the children, but at the same time is you know treating them as the king would with his subjects and making them go through all the procession of it all. And, uh, yeah, I mean, in less capable hands, it would get repetitive and potentially boring, but it's like each one brings something different and you're just kind of eagerly awaiting like what they're going to do. I I didn't look up who wrote the book because honestly, they deserve some 
huge credit for because structurally it's so fascinating. When you first meet him, he just seems like a dick. Like just standing on my hips and I'm giving orders and this is all I am. And literally the next thing he does is introduce the kids and in that scene it's like, oh, you're charming. Oh. Right. Oh, this is going to be a problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, look at you with your kids. Like, you're still the king, but you clearly are warm with them, but you're also teaching them proper, like, you know, how we practice this. This is how you do it. <laughs> right? It, and the, the very quick, subtle interactions and the way he's so proud of them. Like, oh, shit. You're, oh, how do I say no to this? Right. Um, so, but then... <laughs> I will never forget. So, what's the famous song? Oh, uh, Getting to Know You. Yeah. <laughs> so, we're watching Getting to Know You, which, by the way, we were constantly distracted by the size of her skirts. Man, it's so huge. Holy shit. And what happened, Mike? So, uh, Rita Moreno comes out and is doing the dance uh, with, like, the fan and everything. And then. Throws the fan to Deborah Kerr and has a second one that we didn't even see this whole time. Um, and she's got this huge skirt and she starts, Deborah Kerr starts doing the same choreography, which it's not like super, super complicated choreography. Da- like the, da- the dance stuff didn't look that, I mean, it's more than I can do, but I'm uncoordinated as shit. But like, it's nothing crazy, but she also has this giant skirt on. I'm like, that's really cool. She's doing it like that. And then the kids come up and like surround Rita Moreno and they start, like, they are this halo basically that forms like the skirt and she starts doing the dance together and it's just fucking beautiful like it's so it, 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 it's so unexpected which, which is part of what helps it but it's also just like really endearing that like the kids are kind of everybody's kind of playing along with her and it, and it really is kind of the first time you see a real I mean the whole point of the song is her like I'm getting to know these kids and we're getting to like be friends and everything and so it really seals like the connection between her because you don't get a lot of uh, Anna time with the kids it's a lot of Anna and uh, the king like butting heads mm-hmm. uh, so the, it's really important I think that like this scene just shows you like them clicking and connecting and it does this like this especially that one gesture uh, for me it's crazy how like how much they said just with that. Um, something is seemingly insignificant that's just kind of like cool to see. Also, like story wise, did so much work. Like that's that's what a good musical does. That's right. what the musical moments are meant to do is be like immediate and fast emotional shorthand of we're gonna sing a song and now we're in love. Yeah, and you're gonna buy it. <laughs> I know it's only been three minutes, but everybody's emotionally on board. Let's right. move forward. We were kind of at odds at the beginning of it, but. Now we're best friends. Let's go. Now, let's do it. We're on board. Let's go like plan a heist or whatever. I just feel like a heist would be super fun. Um, it's fascinating because for such a huge musical with huge sets and costumes and everything, it's really a two-person show. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's Luntan, Tuck Tim with their little doomed romance. Little and there's yeah. Lady Tiang, who's a great character. And there's the Kralon, who's a great character, but it really is. Is that the, the guy that, like, the prime minister guy? Uh-huh. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, sorry, that's for me knowing the show cold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've seen about 12 productions of this stage at nice. various levels of Ogilvy. <laughs> Fair. Just oh. run the spectrum. Oh, my. I got to see Yul Brynner in his last tour live on stage. It's one of my fondest memories. Even dying of cancer, the man could bring it. He literally died at the end of the show. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Too soon. <laughs> Too soon. Um, but, uh, yeah. Anyway, I feel, Vinny, you're being very quiet over there. Oh, well, I mean, I, I, I'm just in agreement with everything that's been said. <laughs> going back to the, I mean, the scene with the getting to know you scene, I just thought it was perfect, the, the timing that Mike had when she comes yes. out doing the dance with the dress. And it's like, man, that must be really tough. And, like, before he could even finish his sentence, the kids like, like swarm insert. her and insert, you know, encircle her to create the dress. Oh, yeah, you know, you literally had a, oh shit. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, there you go. And he's like, well, she, look at that huge skirt. She doesn't get a skirt up. Yeah, now she's got the kids. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I mentioned like one of the things about this show, and it was 
um, Jerome Robbins is given the full credit as the choreographer, although um, if you look into it, like he had collaborators. Bit by bit, putting it together. But Jerome Robbins, very famous choreographer, um, on the town, West Side Story. West Side Story is what he's best known for. It. And um, he has his training in in ballet, but it was Balanchine ballet, so it was ballet that was very modern, very um, moving forward, um, riding that line towards modern dance. Um, but the staging of this show is so iconic that you just don't do King and I without doing those moments. You don't do getting to know you and not have the kids come out and be the skirt. You just don't. People will be pissed. They'll be like, I thought I was watching the King and I. I mean, yeah, it's if I saw, like now, I, that's like one of my favorite moments in the movie. Like, if I saw a production that didn't do that, I'd be like, well, this is some bullshit. Like, what kind of amateur crackerjack like, shit is this? I thought y'all were putting on the King and I. I, yeah. I want my money back. And when you do Uncle Tom's Cabin, you, Eliza has to do that one footed. Okay, I was going to ask you about that specifically because that's. That is that, that is whole how sequence you, like, is yeah, you, I wanted to touch on that. Incredible. Well, and that's Robbins. Like that's Robbins. I mean, he worked with. Obviously, he worked with um, uh, Eastern dance uh, collaborators. Um, but <laughs> there's some things in it that feel a little uncomfortable. <laughs> um, I I don't know Eastern dance well enough to say. It's more that like. It's less the, the dance as much as it's just, like, the big black mask that comes out and things like that. But I was just like, ooh, that feels a little weird. And But then, like, you kind of get swept up in everything else that's going on. Like, the, I guess my point is that, like, everything else is so good and so engaging uh, that you just, like, you kind of go, like, oh, well, that was a weird thing that made me feel odd for a second. But, like, holy shit, this is beautiful. But at the same time, I don't know enough about that particular pile that particular style of Asian theater to know that, like, Uncle Tom being put in a dark brown mask, the only one in a dark brown mask, and it's very animalistic yeah, and monkey. Yeah, looking. almost like tribal. Like, tribal. I don't know what that might represent, though. Because, That's like, a good point. Like, I know that the monkey in Indian culture is uh, the trickster, and there are a lot of positive attributes that go along with the monkey god, Hanuman. So, like, I, I, I hear what you're saying, and yeah, under our cultural lens, I'm just like, oh, that's weird. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, but, I, that? but I don't know, so I'm, I'm not willing to make a judgment, except that, like, that's weird. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. I mean, it is a whole show written by white men about a culture they really know nothing about, and except, there is... for, except through reading the book of a British woman telling right, right. a story. The perfect cultural way. Yeah. There, right. there is definitely a, a look, like, a fair amount of the sort of, like, exoticism, like, the, the Orientalism uh, in there. But, like, we were talking about um, during the intermission, uh, which, there's an intermission because this movie is long as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> It's really long, uh, but it's great. Like, it, it flies by, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, shit, that was like two and a half hours. Um, we were talking about it during the intermission that, um, oh, thought. Uh, oh, that, like, despite all of those things, despite that it is a story about Siam, uh, and written by two white men, um, per performed by a predominantly white cast, um, and then whatever Yul Brynner is. And then whatever Yul Brynner is. Uh, and then He's not, not going to. Yeah. Rita Moreno, the, the Puerto Rican plant. <laughs> Burmese. She's Burmese, not Puerto Rican in this. She's brown and it'll do. Yeah. Right? And uh, that's but despite own. all of that, it doesn't ever feel... There are, th there are a few moments where it's kind of like, ah, it's a little backwards culture hop, but the majority of the jokes are centered around the king's character and not like he's out of touch because he's this Look, from this culture yeah. he's out of touch because he's so bullheaded that he won't ever accept that he's wrong and so whenever Anna corrects him on something he's like no or she says things uh, like the, the banquet and he's like oh 
when she comes up with a good idea, he can't really, he kind of goes like, oh, that was a good idea, but why didn't you think of this other thing? Like, he always has to be the one that's right. Well, like the whole sequence before the banquet where he's, you know, she is trying to give him advice without really giving him advice, and he kind of just right. leads her right into it. It's like, well, of course I had this idea, but if you had it, what would you suggest? <laughs> right? <laughs> Which is, it's charming. Yeah. Um, and it does work. Um, it does work in the context. It doesn't feel too hokey or cliche. Oh, absolutely. Um, but I mean, this is a 1950s movie. It's it's weird. Like it's fascinating. She's all like, "You, you Siamese women." Which, by the way, listeners, uh, Siam is now Thailand. Burma is now Myanmar. Just for your geographic nerds out there like me. Um, Oh, you Siamese women, you believe you're second-class citizens. That's so silly. And I'm like, you're from Victorian England. What, are you kidding me? You have no fucking room to talk at all. And you're just all like, what? But, like, and she is British as fuck. We were all laughing about that almost immediately with her little jet. Well, I mean, her and, I mean, and your brand, I mean, they're... They have the best little shorthand for scram. Like, <laughs> yeah, they're like, both doing like, a lot of waving people it's away. It's like half a flick of a wrist. It's like not even like a fully articulated gesture, but it's a, you get the point very clearly. Like they're both and such it, big characters, just, so, just a little yeah. finger wave. is like... Yeah. And there's so many lovely touches, like at the end when the prince is giving the or like, I'm telling them to stand. Stand! And then he looks at his father, and his father literally whispers... Yeah, and he does like a half one of these, like just a little, just a little gesture. To yeah, yeah, moves his fingers like barely at all, but he's like, and they all just uh, snap yeah. in. It's like that's that's just good writing and good direction of seeing the moment and going. That's the contrast we play. It's so like you can tell it comes from the stage because all of those moments were really hammered out on stage. Like that's when you when you do the same show eight times a week, you really. Oh, you can tell he feels so comfortable in that character. Like, he's just, he's so good, and he's, it's just impossible not to love him. He's, even though he's a total asshole. (laughs) Well, it's interesting because he did this, obviously he did Magnificent Seven, he did Westworld, he did, like, that's pretty much what he's known for, he did some other stuff. And then basically, he returned to Broadway and did this role for the rest of his life, like, Realistically, that's kind of what happened. Right. And it's like, that's not a bad life when you think about it. Yeah, nailed it. I mean, I mean, it, you know, uh, I think about the uh, <laughs> the Kurt Russell thing we went to. Yeah. Uh, we went to the mm-hmm. Kurt Russell marathon, and uh, the guy who programmed it was talking about like he was nervous about which which thing he was going to show because they had ended the previous marathon with the same movie, and it was Big Trouble in Little China, and he had emailed with Kurt Russell, and Kurt Russell was like. Man, when you got Freebird, you played Freebird. And, like, that's kind of the same thing. It's like, you know, when you fucking nail a character this well, like, just keep doing it. Just, like, why wouldn't, why wouldn't I? As long as you're having fun, still, like, as long as it's not, like, I'm so fucking sick playing the same character. Obviously, I'm still enjoying it. Yeah, he did not shirk in that last performance that I saw. Um, Some trivia about Rita Moreno. She's Uh, amazing. She is the first person to ever get an EGOT. Do you know what that is? Yeah. Oh. The, uh, uh, Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony. Yeah. And she's done it in, like, super, like, it only took her, I think, like, 16 years. And I, actually, I think it's Hammerstein also did it in, like, uh, did it in a pretty short amount of time, too. I was super pissed when Lin-Manuel did not win the Oscar for Moana because like that would have been his EGOT and I would have been so thrilled. They should have picked the better <laughs> That's not my favorite song for them. You, I, yeah, but we all know why they picked it. It was the great big I want ballad and of course that's what they're going to pick. <laughs> I know. Um, okay, so I mentioned I was going to talk about Rodgers and Hammerstein. Here it is. I don't actually like Rodgers and Hammerstein. Uh, really? I love Rodgers and Hammerstein. <laughs> I actually don't. <laughs> I um, I find their music to be like I said repetitive. I like you're like oh this is the older woman singing the aspirational song. Oh this is the patter song. Oh this is the cute moment with the kids song. Like it's all just a little cookie cutter. And like especially by the time you get they only did like six musicals. I forget. But the last musical they did together was Cinderella. And have you ever seen Roger Williams? 
it is the music in that is shit. Really? <laughs> it is shit. I am saying it. Yes. <laughs> it's shit. In my own little corner, sounds like every other song and it the lyrics are pedestrian and it's bullshit. That's what I'm going to say about that. I don't like South Pacific. I don't like Oklahoma, but I will say when you watch these shows, you get caught in a moment. And it just I was going to say, I mean, for I, I agree that they, you know, that they definitely the themes are similar, and you definitely can pick them out when you know when you're listening to them. But then you can tell this, that this movie is exactly uh, Sound of Music. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but despite that, I mean, you, yeah, you still get it's caught up. It's the Ten Commandments then, meets the Sound of Music. Yeah, yeah. Clear because yeah. it's. <laughs> Got uh, let's see, Yulebrenner as a king who, and then like in the Simon of Legree when he drowns in the river, I'm like, anybody else see in the Ten Commandments yeah. Uh, yeah. tie-ins here? Um, Sorry, I totally interrupted. No, no, no. I mean, I was just, I mean, they, they tap into something that, that's just permanent, you know, and always enjoyable. Like even if it is similar and sort of repetitive at times, you know, like to, mm-hmm. and comparable to other things you've heard. I mean, like. You can't not. You can't look away. I, mean, you know, I was. I mean, it. Disney has a formula, and you follow that formula. And, like, yeah. You can hear other, like even Lincoln and Ashman, like it's like part of your world somewhere that's green. Yeah. It really is. Um, so I mean, I shouldn't bitch too hard. It's just the uh, part of it is the Rogers and Hammerstein is culturally like that's what you do, like. I dare you to be to do theater in a high school program for more than three years and not do a Rodgers and Hammerstein show, and then you'll grab and be like, "Yeah, I was in the Sound of Music. Yeah, I was in South Yeah, I did Oklahoma. Like, I swear to God, my my high school did all of those in my high school career. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we I saw high school productions of at least two of those. Yeah, the only <laughs> one that doesn't get done, rightly so, is King and I, because there are certain realities, especially these days. Um, yeah, yellow face is not a thing we're comfortable yeah. with anymore. Yeah, that's... <laughs> right? Right? Oh, the colonialism. And, like, the way it's just sort of glossed over of, like, oh, like, by the way, we want to impress the ambassador. England's just going to take my country away. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just a minor plot point that we're going to make a little musical moment out of. Right. Yeah, la, 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 colonialism. Isn't it well, the thing that impressed me the most—I mean, we talked about it a little bit, but just the, uh, you know, rather than like the, for as big as the show was, you know, the, the, there was not a whole lot of choreography. It was all the staging, the, you know, the, the sets and the costumes, and it was just incredible. I mean, it was just so eye-catching, and you know, it, like like we talked about earlier, I really wish there had been a way to to slow the scenes down, just to get you know to. It's hard to take in the detail. Yeah, there's yeah. so much happening, and it's all so well done and so spectacular. It's like you kind of feel like you're missing out just because you can't possibly catch it all. Um, and I just, I mean, the, the sequence with the small house of Uncle Thomas. Uh, just, the, the visual every story, time, I like, laughed every time yeah. I said the title. Yeah, yeah it's just so hilarious. what was it? Because that is the moment from the show, and I didn't even want to talk about it before because I kind of didn't want to do that. Like, it's incredible. I mean, I, you know, I've seen I, I, you know, I've seen examples of that kind of storytelling, you know, elsewhere. You know, pops up in a lot of Asian film and whatnot. But it was just, yeah. I mean, they, they did so much with so little, really. It's just so in, you know, instantly eye-catching, and yeah. I mean, like the. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or, I mean, they have the you know they have the guys just running across the noisemakers, and, right. and then they have you know, the the one guy that just has a giant metal like golden lightning bolt that just appears. And whatever those like whatever they use for the rain, like the silly string looking yeah. thing, like that was incredible. What happened? Just, and, like it's just so unexpected. Like everybody, all of us were just like, whoa! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was delightful watching you guys. Yeah, it's watch so that. great. Um, and there's just like all of those details, like you said. There's uh, the when she's do, uh, making the water freeze, and you have the, the like silk thing that's like real flowy and everything, and then the, the the people at the you know there's people at the corners that are like pulling it, and then eventually it's just a flat surface, and then they take it and like drown everybody with it. Uh, it's so good, and I think 
going back to what you were saying a minute ago, Vinny, um, the fact that there's so little choreography in everything else is what makes that stand out, like, so well. Because it's, like, the real sort of set piece, you know? Like, like it stands out so much because it's so, it's done incredibly. And the fact that it's kind of like D1 makes it really, like, you have, if you're going to put all of your chips on something, it's got to be good. And the fact that, that they do all of these just amazing things like that just make it, it's like, mind-blowing. Like, I want to watch it a thousand more times. Because <laughs> I know I only saw, like, a tiny little fraction of what's going on there. The way that you, like, reacted to the dogs, like, oh, they're kind of creepy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, what, oh, is that what they're, oh, that's so cool looking. And then the long fingers. I love the long fingers yeah. on, um. Simon, oh. Niggity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got that big curvy sword and like, oh, it's yeah, so great. The the dancing in that is so just iconic. But I, I always forget. So it's like, always like basically that choreography is what you have to use pretty um, much. You, How would you, you not? You, you try to ape it as much as possible. You try to imply it as much as possible. Yeah. Like like because that's what people want to know. And, I, mean, I can't imagine doing it and her not hopping. Like, yeah. That's the, yeah. <laughs> which, well, by the way, everything in that sequence looks exhausting. <laughs> like, I'm sitting there going, and there's, like, of course, if you're doing it on stage, you don't get cuts or anything. But, like, just even watching it in the movie, some of the, some of the takes are really long. And they're, like, unbroken. And you're just like... This person's been fucking hopping on one foot for so long. She's got to be tired. <laughs> and, like, she's going to break an ankle or something. You know? And uh, she's thinking it's fuck. fuck. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like, oh, 20 more hops and we're done with this <laughs> shit. <Yeah. laughs> um, well, it's like any other iconic, like, there's so many moments like that in musicals where it's like, if you're going to do something different, you've got to reimagine the whole show to get people to buy like um, Pippin was a lot that way like people expected a certain look from Pippin and so if you're going to do something different with it you have to really do something different with it because people are just like I'm sorry I want Bob Foxy's choreography what is this <laughs> uh, if you're not going to do Bob Foxy why am I watching Pippin so it's it's very similar to that but I always forget that this movie doesn't really have dancing in yeah because but it's, like, it's, it's almost your like you big Broadway musical but but, but you kind of don't need, I mean, like, like I was saying, it was like for, for the lack of dancing, like, I don't feel like I missed, it. you know, there's just so much more, there's so much else going on. That, well, and the staging is so, yeah, I mean, it's clean and like, it's not big dancing, but like the whole, like, you know, you see with the hand shaking, like there's, um, his gestures during his puzzlement are very, very clearly staged. This is what he can do. Right. So, I mean. And I want to give a shout out to like staging is just as important. Yeah, everybody loves a big dance number, but a properly staged number should do what these numbers did, and they look good. Um, but it wasn't until West Side Story I was I was reminded of it. I have a by the way I have a biography of Jerome. <laughs> I believe it. Yeah, I also have another one of Fosse. Of course I do. Um, <laughs> But it wasn't until West Side Story. West Side Story was sort of groundbreaking of, no, I'm sorry, the same people are going to act and sing and dance. Because until then, Broadway shows were, like, you, you had your singing chorus, <laughs> you had your dancers, and the, the actors who stood in front that everybody sort of sang and danced around. Ethel Merman was a singer who stood there, and people just danced around her. And she's like, this is me. I'm the star. Dance around me. I look good. That's it. Like, it's called a star dance. And it cracks me up when I... When, because when it's done well, you don't even notice the fact that the star isn't dancing. Right. And then you spot it, and you're like, you're not dancing. You're just standing there. Good for you. <laughs> you know you made it when you just stand there and everybody else does the work for right. you. Right. So, what was your favorite number? Oh. I think... Uh, I really love... Like the two, because there's a that's a heavily choreographed sequence that we talked about. It, it, I don't know that I call it a musical number. The I wrote down like choreographed book report because that's basically what <laughs> yeah. that whole thing is like. <laughs> I'm giving a book report on Uncle Tom's Cabin, uh, but we stage this sh like we choreograph the shit out of it. Um, Extra I really like that. I really like. It's not really a song, but where Anna dances with the king. Uh, that sequence is so fucking cool. 
Um, and he's just slinging her around. Uh, it looks... I'm surprised she didn't throw up, honestly. <laughs> like, because she's just spinning and spinning and spinning. And you watch her body, like, whip around some of those turns. It's just like, holy shit. And, you know, you told us while we were watching it that um, she had, like, bruises on her ankles from the hoop of her skirt. Just, like, banging. And, which, you watch it, it, it's this weird, like, sexual tension that's also a little bit violent. But also, like, really flowy. And it's such a weird mix of what's going on with just them literally spinning around the room. <laughs> those are probably, I, I don't know which I like better, but those are, like, my two favorites. And neither one of them is actually, like, a musical number as much as it's just, like, people dancing and looking awesome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think I have to give it to the, uh, the choreographed book report. Really. <laughs> <laughs> the small house of Uncle Thomas. I just, I, I just loved everything about it. And just, you know, it's like... The, kind of the, the meta of having to play within the, or the you know the set within the set and just the way that it was set up and, and, and executed and uh, I just love I love everything about it. Yeah, I mean it's hard to pick. They're all. Yeah. Uh, I mean, nah, I, I just remember the, so yeah. the kid's skirt. And I was like, no, wait, that's the best thing. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll pick pieces of each one and yeah, yeah, stitch yeah. them together. Into, um, into for, else. for me, this time around, it's definitely shall we dance because. Yeah, the sexual tension, because it yeah. ramps up. It's not there at the beginning. It gets more and more as they are coming to grips. And if they weren't in a room, they'd walk around the time. Right. <laughs> I'm just like, like, that would have been a mistake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I bet it would be a mistake that you remember fondly for the rest of your life. <laughs> like, like, oh, shit, I slept with somebody really bad for me. Damn, it was good. Right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so this was The King and I, Oris, High Court, <laughs> Death by Toxic Masculinity. <laughs> I'm sorry, what is, what is he dying of again? Uh, toxic Masculinity. <laughs> Jazz Hands! Um, so, I'm so glad you guys loved it. It's, yeah, it's great. It's, it's really good. It's listeners, if you haven't rewatched it recently, well, I've never, you've seen, never it. seen it, like, <laughs> Do so prior to us spoiling yeah. all of it for you. Go back in time an hour or so. Oh my god, like go and be impressed with how nuanced it really is. Yeah. Like And I think it's one of those that I haven't watched uh I mean, and I do like Rogers and Hammerson. Uh even though I totally agree with everything that you're saying <laughs> about them. Um but uh it's one of those that I, I'd never really watched because I was like, it's just, I do, like, my favorite thing about musicals is the, as we talked about with High School Musical, I love the big production numbers, and, like, you do get one of those, but, it, but my impression was like, oh, it's just going to be, like, two people, and four, I mean, like, there's nothing huge and, like, exciting about it, and then, like, you know, 15 minutes in, I was just like, this is amazing. Like, it's so fun. I mean, not like, even 15 As soon as you saw Rita Moreno, you're like, no, I mean, that's true. Like, like, a few seconds into the opening titles, I was like, oh, oh shit, y'all. I'm on board. <laughs> yeah. Did not know. And then she shows up, and I'm just like, oh. <laughs> she, uh, she looks amazing. Thank you, yeah. Irene Sherpa. <laughs> like, I And the dress Anna wears for the big dance, and just like, Damn, yeah. damn, girl, damn! And those sleeves were like three feet out from her shoulders. <laughs> those sleeves were incredible. Like, like they, I think they might have been helping her catch some air while they were <laughs> ripping her around. And whoosh. I've never spent as much of a movie checking out like underarms of people because <laughs> there's there's her dress that I was trying to figure out if the arms went all the way around or not, but they stopped they're like three quarters pretty they're much big, so that you can put your arm down. Yeah, big donut. Yeah, not, big not donut full, full, full yeah but I was sitting there going like, how is she not how is she not doing this basically with her arms sticking uh, like scarecrow arming up? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then there's also Rita Moreno's dress, uh, when she meets with Lunta. Lunta. Uh, where she has, and this was really cool, um, Vinny's wife, Jenny, pointed it out, um, uh, that there's, she's wearing this dress, and it basically has, like, holes cut out in the armpits, um, which makes sense in a fucking, you know, tropical climate, that you would want something that, like, hey, let's fucking ventilate a little also, bit. <laughs> that dress, because it's form-fitting as fuck, like, that's the only way you're ever going to be able to raise your arm if it's yeah, cut out. That too. Like, seriously. 
So, um, so yeah, listeners, King and I, it holds up. Like, it really holds up. Like, yeah. I want my nine-year-old daughter to watch it and we can have some conversations about gender roles. Like, <laughs> in, a good, for it, yeah, in a good way. Like, yeah, yeah, there, yeah. there's some I'm not willing to show her until she's older, but this one I'm like, ah, I think... I think it'd be okay with also that she'd want that dress. Which maybe I don't want to do that. Did you want to wear 40 pounds of dress, honey? That dress weighed 40 pounds. Um, you can get her one of the, like, head things, too, so that her yeah. neck is just constantly in pain. <laughs> one of those, uh, yeah, those um, uh, high, like, ceremonial Spire-looking spires. Things. Like, those are so cool looking. You can't they ever can't, imagine trying to even balance that. You, you cannot move your head. Yeah. <laughs> Good posture is required, or you're going to fall over. Um, all right, so let, next week is? Greatest Showman. Showman. Greatest Showman. Yeah, it's the greatest show. <laughs> so, listeners, tune back in next week. Thanks. Bye. A Real Education the Musical can be found on iTunes, Blueberry, and Google Play. Follow us on Facebook at Real Education Musical, on Twitter at Real Edu Musical, that's R-E-E-L-E-D-U, or check out our website at realeducationmusical.com. New episodes on every Tuesday morning. We hope you enjoyed our film fixation. We'll see you next time on A Real Education.